Hey everyone, before we get going with this episode, just a couple programming notes. Uh, first, sorry for the delay on this. Our technical issues took a bit longer to solve than we anticipated, but we're all good now. Uh, and second, you'll hear in just a little bit that our next episode will be another Sepkida. Uh, and because of that, uh, because that announcement is coming a little later than anticipated, we're going to push that episode back another week so that you all have a chance to watch the movie and send in your thoughts. Uh, so look forward to our next episode on Friday, March 10th. And like I said, uh, later on, you'll hear a little bit more of an explanation there. But uh, yeah, thanks for your understanding and enjoy the episode. Right, here we are for our first, I was going to say first annual, but it's not yearly because we're doing it again in two weeks. Uh, our first ever uh, Sepkida, which Nate, I completely forget the <laughs> what that stands for. So you're going to have to remind me. Um. Oh yeah, I hear it's in my notes. <clears throat> Ready for it, Jacob? Yes. Uh, super exclusive premium creative dialogue alliance. Alliance. That's right, Sepkida. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't remember if we did alliance or allegiance. Well, I keep saying allegiance, so it's probably both. We could do both. Yeah, why not? Uh, so yeah, our first ever kind of book club, movie club thing where we, we will be discussing All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, and today we're joined by my brother, Stephen Novak. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing just great. Can I say last week when you guys started talking about the Septica stuff, before you got into exactly what it was, I thought for sure that you guys were going to like start charging people to listen to your podcast, which I thought was such a bold move. But I loved it. I loved it. Like five listeners. Guys. Yeah. Five we're, cents a listener. We're starting a Patreon. <laughs> hey, man. That bread. You do you. Yeah. Go for uh, it. I, I always like, I likened it when I brought the idea up to Nate. Uh, I don't know if you watch Jarvis Johnson, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, familiar. His Jarvis Johnson gold. That's his premium yes. channel. That's free. That's kind of what I like yes. this too. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. So if, if you didn't listen to last week's episode uh, or last episode, because it's biweekly, whatever, uh, you uh, probably haven't heard that we are now doing a segment called Sepkida, which is what Nate just said. I still don't remember the acronym. But basically, it's going to be uh, kind of a thing that we do every now and again, where it is a book club, uh, where we will, on the previous episode, talk about or say, hey, go watch this thing or read this book so that we can all discuss it uh, on the next episode. Uh, And we figured it would be a good time to bring that up because the Oscar nominations came out. Uh, and All Quiet on the Western Front uh, was pretty highly nominated. I, I checked and it got nine nominations, which is tied for second most this year, uh, behind Everything Everywhere All at Once and tied with Banshees of Inisherin, I believe. Um, so I, I wrote down a list so that we can keep it in mind as we talk about it. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, International Feature, Original Score, Sound, production design, cinematography, makeup and hairstyling, and visual effects. So it got Mm. a lot of of nominations. Yeah, I'll I'll get into the movie here in a second. Jacob, uh, before we, um, maybe we should introduce someone. We already did. But I feel like uh, he should have more of an introduction. (laughs) Is he just a dude that likes watching movies? I deserve nothing in this life. (laughs) There's... (laughs) 
my brother Steven's on the podcast. Um, anyways, let's okay, get back fine. To the S- Steven, program. I bet you guys do ten you? minutes with Andrew next week before <laughs> before you even touch the movie. Steven, who who are you? Why are you here? Uh, I'm here because I'm related by blood to you, <laughs> uh, and I'm just here to watch the movie and have a good time. I I, I love your podcast. I've been listening to it uh, since. I don't know, about four hours ago, I downloaded like five and listened to them at the same time on like 20x speeds. <laughs> well, listen is a strong term. I like scrubbed through it a little bit. I, I got the idea. Say, I, I've been su- such a fan since, I don't know, I want to say two weeks ago. Yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love what you guys do on the podcast. It's a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. Cool. And, I, and I, I thought that you would be uh, a good uh, guest for this because uh, often we do uh, just talk about all these different movies because recently you got into uh by recently i mean probably like five years ago or something uh you started watching a lot more movies it feels like and you were actually the one who introduced me to letterboxd which i now shamelessly promote on every podcast every single podcast yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was probably around COVID times is when i really started to get into movies more often and maybe that's the not a very hot take that's probably the way a lot of people feel <laughs> but yeah sure. i was looking for a way um, I'm, a, I'm a big spreadsheet guy. And so I was using a spreadsheet yeah. to keep track of my movies. And then I was like, I want, there has to be a website for this. There has to. And I did some Googling and I found Letterboxd. And uh, that was like, oh, as soon as I can gamify anything, I'm like <laughs> all on top of it. So as soon as yeah. I found Letterboxd, I just took off. Um, but yeah, we do have a lot of fun discussing movies. We do Oscar picks usually. Yeah, which we still um, need to, to, to do. Yeah, to get those ready. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with with this movie, with All Quiet on Western Fronts, I am now only missing one Best Picture nominee. I still mm-hmm. haven't seen Avatar. Uh, so I'll probably try to get that done this week because Harry's gone. So yeah. uh, party by watching that'll, a three hour take, long movie. That'll take and then your another afternoon one. up. Yeah, that'll take your afternoon up. Yeah. But uh, is is that good enough for you, Nate? You know what, Jacob? That's that's actually great. Yeah. yeah that's what i was looking for all right uh and i guess it's something that i i forgot that we also wanted to do is just off the top so we're doing this for all quiet right now and we're going to be doing another sepkada in two weeks time uh featuring the documentary fire of love uh and it's available on both hulu and disney plus uh, and it's a documentary uh, about the lives of two French uh, volcanologists, volcanologists. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, from what I understand, it's a lot of archival footage because they died in like the early 90s. Uh, so it's just kind of about their lives and journeys as as they study volcanoes and how their, you know, adventurism uh, might have led to their their deaths mm-hmm. uh but i don't know that much about it it was nominated for best documentary feature so uh we figured that would be a good one so yeah uh, be sure to watch that for next time like i mentioned fire of love on hulu or disney plus um but uh yeah i think now that's all the housekeeping that we got to get out of the way good, good. uh so now nate what my did turn you think of this movie yeah all right i'll be i'll be brief um so when i first came across the story it was the book right uh, and that was what 10th grade for me. It was a European studies class. And I thought I, I really liked the book. I thought the book was, was fascinating. And like, it felt the, 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 the wording and everything, you know, felt like as much as you could have been there 
through reading a book without any of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Like just some of the stuff that I read was the first time I, I experienced like feelings of emotion of and like nausea and stuff like that just from reading, right? The whole idea of like these people are just going out there and just seeing the worst of the worst. So so that was my first experience. That was, I don't know how long ago that was, 10th grade for me. So we're mm. maybe 10, maybe eight years. I don't know, something like that, 10 years. Anyways, um, the movie. So this is the 2022. I, I I believe there was a previous one. Yeah, I, I think it's like from 1930 or something. 30, it's actually 31. one from 1930. And then there's like a TV special that was TV released special. in like the 70s or something like that. Yeah. I, mm. So I haven't watched either of those. Maybe I should. Mm. Maybe I should take a look. So one of the big things that stands out for me for this is that I'm a big fan of music and scores in film and sound design, as well as cinematography and stuff like that. But those are some of the biggest things for me. Um, so I thought that the sound design and the music was very immersive, especially how it starts just like stark quiet. You see like beautiful nature. It's like, this is, this is like beauty there's right. And then all of a sudden things change drastically. Uh, and so I think we could like talk a little bit more about why that is there, but it harkens to the actual, the, the title of the story, right. All quiet. And, and the idea of, there's stuff happening. Life is happening. And then just across the corner, boom, we start to hear the bombs and the stuff go off. And we start to now know what's happening in the story. Uh, and so I'm a big fan of the sound design, big fan of the score. Cinematography, um, I thought was pretty much, I thought it was on point. I really enjoyed the cinematography of that. I'm I'm looking at it between that and the the previous film, was it 1917? What was the yeah. film where they did in one shot? Or yeah, that was 1917. So, so I look at the two and if I had to pick, I know they're two different styles, um, but if I were to pick between the two for those things I just talked about, I would say that All Quiet on the Western Front wins. That's for me. Like I, I would choose that uh, over it. Uh, as far as sure. some of the other things, um, because I'd read the book, there were some deviations. Uh, and I'm, I know some people are like, oh, that's different from the book and that will totally ruin it for them. I didn't think that that was um, like too much of an important thing for me, because I think the most important part of the story is the fact that these are the atrocities. This is what's happening from the German perspective, which is we what we don't get almost ever through our history classes and stuff. Um but to see that the same kind of things were happening on both sides at the same time, and that peop- these are people, these are humans, they're not much different than us, and they're just fighting for a cause that maybe they don't even believe in, but they just have to do it. Um, it's when you dive deeper into stuff like that, that's when it's like you start to think about, oh, wait, this actually happened. Like, look at the life we live now, and yeah. look at the what people were forced to do then, and it's like, whoa. It's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely crazy. So those are the, my brief things I, I wanted to talk about, but as we get into conversation, I'm sure, I'm sure more will pop up. Yeah. Uh, Steven, how about you? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Nate said. I think, um, first of all, just to kind of hit on the, one of the last points he made about it being from a German perspective, I think that's important because just doing some light reading on what the other two movies were seems like they were both coming from very American or just non-German perspectives. So it's good Mm -hmm. to get this kind of a story from that perspective. Um, In general, the movie movie for me was good. I enjoyed it. 
Um, a lot of the things Nate hit on, I liked as well. I loved the score. I thought, you know, all the silence in the beginning. And then one of the first things, if not the first thing we hear in terms of score, in terms of sound, is that like big synthy yeah. main bah, theme. Bah, bah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, which was yep, yep. awesome. It really put me in it. It was great. Yeah. Um, and then like that lone snare drum that hits throughout. I, I just love all that stuff. That was great. Um, I think it's a great movie for people who like war movies. Um, if you're looking for something with anti-war overtones, this is a great movie for that as well. I also think it's a really good movie for people who are maybe looking to get into international films, looking to get into something sure. in a foreign language. Just because the plot is not super dense to me, there's not a whole lot um, yeah. going on that you're going to mm -hmm. be so distracted trying to keep track of the plot and trying to read the subtitles. Um, it's pretty easy to follow along with what's happening. Um, so you can immerse yourself in the subtitles and in the acting and it doesn't take away a whole lot. So if you're someone who maybe is thinking, oh, I would love to watch that movie, but I don't really want to have to read the subtitles. I think this is a great movie to watch for that reason, because it's pretty easy to follow along with. So it's yeah. a good movie. I enjoyed it. I think uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it a little bit more in some more detail, but I liked it. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I I was actually thinking about that that three note melody that is gone throughout. At first, I I was a little surprised by the synthiness of it because I was like, oh, sure. I don't can't, I can't think of any other war movie that I've seen. But it's like granted, ominous. maybe is limited. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it's an ominous like three tone thing, but also just it being synthy and not like. Uh, tuba or kind yeah like, or like a, a double bass kind of like yeah. anachronistic like a, sure taken from this time and superimposed yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and actually there are actually times where it played and i couldn't tell if it was a synth or like a boat horn or something yeah uh, yeah so so that was something that like at first i was a little taken aback but yeah i i loved the the use of music in that uh pretty depressing right very, uh, so, very. <laughs> like uh, a, a few days before I, I actually sat down to watch this. Uh, some people were over, and I was talking to Becca, formerly on the show, and because uh, I was going to watch it with Harry and and uh, and things like that. Uh, and she was like, "Oh, should I come watch that? Or do you think that's something I would like?" She was like, "How much blood is there in it?" Uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's a war movie, but I, I don't know if it's like super over the top." Uh, yeah, I don't think she would have liked this movie. Uh, it's it's pretty grim and uh, it is bloody, but I think it also just acts uh, adds to it. You know, I, one of the things that I took away was the production design. Yeah, was incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Pr production yeah. design is not something I usually take that much note of, uh, unless it's outstandingly bad. Uh, but this is a, a one of the few cases where I, I actively notice, wow, they they put a lot into this, and it, it all looks real and looks good, um, or not good, depending on what they're trying to get at, like yeah, blood and all that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really liked it. I I, I think I would have recommend. I, I want I also wanted to just go around and say, do you recommend this movie? And I think I do. Uh, but also just be aware if you're in a certain headspace, you're looking for something, even the slightest bit jovial. Yeah, don't do no, this. Not getting uh, that. No. Even, don't even watch if you're expecting, end. like, I, I haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, but like, I've, like, if you're looking for like a feel-good war movie, this is not it. Um, 
Yeah, but, uh, you, you got to get yeah. pretty far into Saving Private Ryan to get to the feel good. But sure. Yeah, you're right. That's that's just like like my impression of things like Saving Private Ryan are like, yeah, it's a dark war movie, but then you know, at some point, you get that the moment that justifies all of it. Sure. Uh, in your heart. But okay. Not what you just yeah. said there, the moment that justifies all of it, I think that right there is. So it's not in that film, but yeah. it was also not in the war for World War One. Yeah, there was the justify justification of it. You're fighting over a couple hundred yards for years, right? I think I think that is something to hearken on. I think that's important uh, because the as truthful as a film can be, uh, you know, over a hundred years out. You'd think that, you know, maybe there's a lot of historians and stuff that would agree that, you know, this war was fought over a couple hundred yards, especially on the Western Front, right? And that there was no real, like, win. Because throughout the entire movie, it goes between the the war zone and then it goes to the, the folks trying to trying to stop the war in right. their fancy attire, drinking tea. Obviously it's tense, but it's not even close to what people yeah. are experiencing on the field. So I think that juxtaposition, or that that jumping back and forth, I should say, is what is very important for this film. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get too deep in, into spoilery things, which feels kind of weird to say, oh, no spoilers for World War One. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you guys recommend this movie? Same yes, as- yes, I do. Um, generally speaking, I think it's a good movie to watch. I think it's important to watch these kinds of movies from the perspective whenever these movies come out where they're coming from the perspective of the people the story is about i think it's important Mm -hmm. to watch them um so i would recommend it um i do and i know this is the movie's fault i think because you were talking about this nate how you read the book and i went back because i'm always interested whenever a movie comes out like this that is based on source material that they did not come up with um it's always interested in what is different and after doing some research on what's different um it's a little bit more disappointing for me yeah. that they didn't go in certain directions, but in general, I thought it was, uh, yeah, well shot, well told story, and I would recommend it. Yeah, mm. yep, yep, I agree. I, I'd recommend it too. So there's three three recommendations for you to watch it if you haven't yet. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, I think you should watch it. It's not super long, and as we talked about earlier, it's easy to. It's, okay, it's Jacob, don't hours. make a face that. Yeah, but you're about to watch Avatar. Let's be honest here. It's not like a Lord of the Rings. It's but, not but an I Avatar. Have to, I'm I'm not about to watch Avatar. I'm trying to find time in my schedule to watch Avatar. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. You have to find time. A two and a half hour movie where you don't have to focus too much on dialogue and plot doesn't take a lot from your brain. You can sit there and veg out and and watch it and you can go as deep as you want thinking about it or it can just be kind of in the background playing and you you won't miss something if you get up to go get another bag of chips or a drink right like that's the type of film that if you're into like after work it's good sure yeah see you have to plan to watch other movies like you're planning out to watch the movies that's not (laughs) for me that's not my goal i don't i don't plan out my movie watching now we're very different and you know after two years of the podcast people should know that we're very different when it comes to this stuff yeah but oh this is basically the two-year anniversary isn't it i I don't know something like that maybe yeah um well yeah i guess now uh i'm just gonna double check that real quick but now we can get into more specific spoiler uh territory (laughs) so if you haven't seen the movie uh and you're going to stop here go uh watch it and then come back um 
yeah, uh, first episode was uh, February 18th. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so this will be going up basically on the two-year anniversary. Cool. Uh, anyways, uh, so. I'd love already... to kind of interview real quick and say, um, suck it, Andrew. I was on the two-year anniversary. Um, <laughs> they always save the best guest for that one. And then the <laughs> least, I don't want to say least guest, but the least guest for the one after that one. So. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so we already talked a little bit about, you know, some of our favorite aspects. Uh, now, before we started, and, and I guess... You, you just mentioned it now, Stephen, about being disappointed. I, I wanted to go over what our favorite aspects of the movie were and also maybe were there things that you don't think were as effective. Uh, so I'm not familiar with the source material at all. Um, so what is it that you found disappointing from the differences between the book and, and this? So Nick can chime in on this too, but there's a couple things. I was reading an article on Collider um, about just the differences between this specific version of the movie and the book. And the couple of things that I was kind of disappointed in, first of all, the death of the main character, Paul, at the end mm-hmm. of the movie um, is a major difference uh, from mm. the book. So in the book, um, and actually also, and I went on YouTube and searched this up to the ending to the 1930 movie, which is much more true to uh, the book ending, Um, It seems as if Paul was in the trenches um, or something like that. And he was reaching out toward a butterfly. And while he reaches out to touch the butterfly, he is sniped, shot in the head, and he Mm -hmm. dies that way. Mm -hmm. So he's not dying on the front lines of combat, you know, seconds before the ceasefire or whatever. I'm not exactly sure. Um, So that's one major difference. The other one is that in the book, um, Paul actually gets furloughed. He actually gets to go back home to see his family to see some of his old teachers and stuff um before he comes back to the war and that i think the idea of the book is that serves to help paint a picture of how uh what the war is thought of in germany and how Mm -hmm. it's thought there and how different it is from what paul has experienced in that short time that he was on the western front and he kind of goes to fight against some of his old professors and his old family members in the book and they kind of think he's crazy. He, they think he's being unpatriotic because they have in their heads this idea of how the war is going and it's just not lining up with what Paul thinks. And so I was kind of disappointed they didn't include that because then it becomes less about, I feel like it becomes more of just your standard stock war movie instead of kind of this introspective into the psyche of a soldier and what he yeah. goes through hmm. from being an idealistic recruits to actually being in the trenches you know what i mean yeah yeah that's interesting yeah uh i mean that's actually one thing that i i maybe loved isn't the right word because it, it's death uh but uh when this the fact that the movie opens on this german soldier named heinrich uh yes and then, yeah yeah and then he dies i i also love that cut to black cut to the title of yep. like all the sound of just the war washing over you. Uh, and then uh, as Done. he go, runs forward to stab yep. someone, just cut to black. That was, I thought, a really fun edit, uh, as fun as that can be. Uh, and uh, then the fact that Paul does die, and then it's basically uh, like the Heinrich dies, 
and then uh paul becomes the focus he gets heinrich's old jacket and stuff like that so he now becomes the kind of wide-eyed uh recruits into the the army uh and then paul dies and then it's this other guy uh who is now having to go up and pick up the dog tags yep or whatever uh and just that cyclical nature i thought that that was effective um mm-hmm. of, of just how uh you know the lieutenant walks up to him or whatever and says are you okay okay now get to work yeah uh just showing that disparity there um but you also mentioned you know the like the patriot the patriotism of being called up to uh you know serve your country uh that whole speech when they're in the stairwell getting ready to be shipped out uh the speech from that one guy uh actually is that the same guy as the the end of the movie who tells him to go out and fight i missed that does that guy show up i think they're different people okay i think the guy who gives a speech in the beginning is different than the one who's giving the orders to go fight at the end of the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Uh, but I, I made a note. I took notes for about 30 movie, uh, thirty minutes watching this movie, uh, and then I uh, forgot about it for another hour, and then I was like, okay, I'll just stop. Um, but one of the notes I took uh, was that uh, I couldn't exactly place uh, the comparison, but that speech, uh, when they're getting ready to go to the front, just the the language of trying to a- appeal to these teenagers and say you're doing this for the honor and the recognition or whatever it kind of felt like uh like these weird uh men's rights youtubers like it, it kind of gave me like andrew tate vibes or dave batista <laughs> and glass onion <laughs> like, like just yeah. like just uh, the trying to uh appeal to these teenagers who are still trying to find their own purpose uh and saying your purpose should be going out to help your country uh emboldened by the fact that at the end when the uh, guy who looks like dr eggman from sonic uh is giving his speech to go back out to the front lines before uh the peace starts uh he's saying you're about to go home and you will be rewarded with you know admiration yeah. And I just laughed at that. Like, it's, that's not a funny line, but I laughed because that's just the, uh, what they are. They're just pawns in, in everything really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm rambling, but uh, no, that's no, I like that. I like, so Jacob to go off of that before I jump into a couple other things, I think it's really um, important to, to talk about those speeches because at, at the beginning of the film, you have that speech and people are getting excited and amped because they have no idea what they're getting into. Right. The speech is working, right. They're yeah. influenced by it. And then at that very end, when they know that they're, they were so close to being done. And then that speech comes out again. You see the camera goes on their faces, these war-torn kids that are yeah. now adults who have just witnessed the, the worst stuff that can happen to humankind. No one is ready. No one's excited. There's no morale is at the lowest. There's but and it comes down to the idea of that this one commander or whoever it was, uh his job was to fight. And he was going to fight and fight and fight, right? And he was going to put his people out there, even though it was sure death to everyone. But I think it comes down to his sort of, I don't know if ego is the word or if it's just 
his place was to be in, in that war. And he knew yeah. that war was ending. Right. And so it's neat to see the two differences, the differences between the, the speech at the beginning and speech at the end. So this jumps into a couple of the other things I want to talk about. And it's that use of time throughout this entire film. Right. They, they add like the ticking noise throughout so, sort of like a stopwatch ticking noise yeah. because the, the entire film is, I think, in a really short period of time uh, from was it armistice is at the very end. So like we're going to fight and then there's the ticking and then there's the talking about the, the peace and then we're still fighting and then they're still talking to it's like 72 hours or something like that. I th- maybe I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was like a really short time period for, for the film could be wrong, but towards well, the, the end the, it, there's the 18 month jump, the 18 month jump. Right. But, yeah. but, but when we're experiencing it in the film, it's that short, short period. Sure. Of time. Yeah. It, it's the majority of the film takes place over. Yeah, about 72 yeah. hours, I think. Yeah. Right, something like that. So so just that usage of knowing they know that they're close and yet they're going to be pushed out again and pushed out again. Every time that person blows the whistle and they have to run out of the trenches, it's most likely they were going to die, right? Every single time. Um, so that's I, I really enjoy that use of sound design because it keeps our brain – because every time we hear the ticking, we know that that clock is getting closer. We also know that death is getting closer because the closer to that clock – or the closer to the end, the more likely that they're going to have to keep on fighting until the very end, right? Um, the the reason, I think the reason that they have the main character die at the end uh, is just because that's sort of the, the, the turn of the dagger in the viewer who's watching, right? We're at the very end and then I'll, yeah. and then stabbed and ter- like, right? And I think that's part of what they're trying to convey in this story that, you know, even after it is done, there's still death, right? Yeah. The world isn't going to heal from this. You were, uh, Stephen, you were talking about the seeing pictures of what, what it looks like now and stuff. Like mm-hmm. the world's always going to know that that happened and it's going to continue. To, and then yeah. of course there's war, what, less than 20 years later, right? But I don't know. I love the use of sound in it. I think that was really important. It keeps driving, driving us forward. There's always yeah. forward momentum. Yeah. Uh, now I do want to, you know, we talked about the anti-war uh, messages from it. And I think Nate, you brought up the the nature part of it. And it's also, I mean, yeah, what you both were talking about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the the themes coming from it, especially with the nature side of things. So I have a couple comments uh, that were sent into askwtd at gmail.com, just like you can. Uh, and uh, this first one uh, comes from Harry, uh, formerly on the show. He says, why start with the foxes? And he's talking about right at the very beginning of the movie. He says, yeah. why start with the foxes? I don't think it looked good and could have been taken out. But on the other side of the of that, uh, Emil, uh, a good friend of the show, says, I liked the first scene with the foxes and how it showed the innocence of nature versus the brutality of humanity. Uh, and that is something I was thinking about because, uh, yeah, it is two and a half hours long. And I was thinking, yeah, that may have been a little long where you could cut things out. Uh, and those just the way that they used his shots of the forest and nature basically acting as a buffer uh, between segments of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was trying to think about that. And 
and I th- I think it, that that is used because they're trying to show uh, just how nature is you know thriving when it's in its own space but then you go like two miles away and it is just this war-torn front of just trench after trench after trench and it's all muddy there are bodies everywhere things like that uh and i i liked the way that emil put it saying that it shows the innocence of nature versus what we see for the next two hours and 28 minutes uh what did you guys think about the those themes with with nature and and humanity and things like that are you picking up the same vibes what did you take from that i think i mean one of the things i loved about this movie it maybe loved is such a strong term because i'm about to start talking about blood but just (laughs) how prevalent it is and there's obviously moments there is plenty of gore to be had here there's limbs detached from bodies yeah there's you know chunks of heads missing at different points right like there's plenty of gore to go around but that's not the only time that we see blood in fact some of my favorite parts of the production design and how they did this movie with the blood was it's everywhere it's in the mud they're walking on it's in the puddles that they're sloshing through it's in the clothes that they get you talked jacob a little bit further back about the beginning of the movie we see this first german soldier and he dies and then we see this sequence after the title card where their dead bodies are piled up they take the uniforms off they give the uniforms to the cleaning ladies the cleaning ladies wash them and then they're turned right back around and handed to the new recruits coming in and so even the clothes that these soldiers are wearing are soaked in the blood of the people that came before them and so just how prevalent the blood is not just on the soldiers themselves, but on the nature and on the environment, you know, surrounding the movie. It's just so in the atmosphere, it's everywhere. And so that's part of the movie that I really enjoyed was just how poignant that was. Um, but at the same time, kind of being in the background of the movie, it's just kind of always there. And I can imagine that's maybe how the soldiers felt at that same time, just part of their lives, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a part of their, their everyday, everyday life. So that's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. I like that that idea that you brought up. The now, Jacob, the uh, like the the cuts to the the nature and stuff. I think that that's there for the viewer uh, because it's a lot to process, of course. Mm-hmm. But but there are deeper meanings. I agree with you. I think uh, nature itself is uh, <laughs> it can be pretty ferocious, right? Just the the the, the food chain, right? We don't see that. What we see are just these animals trying to survive on this place where humans have come in and and completely just destroyed. Right? There's there's no life there. That 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 uh, no man's land. There's zero life. There, right? Yeah. Nothing. Um, and I think when we cut to the to the to the nature and the the the, the quietness and stuff, uh, that shows that that was what used to be there right and it also like i said it helps us diagnose it helps us get an understanding of what's going on and like take a break because that is a lot to take in right yeah um so i think it's very important and it's a very easy way that they can transition um uh, between different fighting scenes otherwise it's just fighting the whole time right so between between the folks who are trying to figure out how to make peace 
to the uh to the battlefield to the nature scenes we get a nice a nice variation of what we're watching yeah uh and also this kind of a separate thought but ba- from that's just you mentioned the actual fight scenes uh one thing that i also thought was good was the choreography and just the blocking of a lot of those kind of action set pieces quote unquote because it's not an action movie but they they do still have some pretty well choreographed uh just movements across the trenches and then when you're in the trenches and things like that i, I thought that, that was pretty effective um yeah 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 one, one thing that i that you just made me think of is uh about the the butterfly that's in the book um i i kind of now uh just based off of my limited information from that i think that would have been nice to have something about that before paul dies uh because just from that that sounds like the butterfly is meant to just serve as like one last reminder about yeah you know what there still is outside of no man's land and things like that so i think that would have been a good last but that's not uh, the goal of this movie the goal of this movie isn't to have that but I, but I think having that, and then he dies, still maybe even pushes that that dagger in a little bit more, because he he, you yeah. know, gets this one last reminder about nature. But it's like, oh, but you're dead, and the cycle continues. Well, I think we get that already because he knows that the time every soldier out there knows when the thing is like when war stops, and they all know the time. I mean, he checks the time, right? Like he knows that he's got five minutes or whatever. Yeah. Maybe it's not five minutes, but he knows. So we kind of get that already because as the viewer, we know, oh, we're getting really close to when they're going to stop. This is going to stop soon. This is going to stop soon. People are going to stop dying. And then all of a sudden, boom. Uh, So I agree with you on that last little bit, but I think we kind of get it already naturally with the way that they altered from the book. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I'd like to talk about the scene where, and this is talked about, the book takes a long time uh, in this specific scene, but I don't think the scene's too long. It's when he's in, he's, he gets stuck in no man's land into that, in that bombed out hole. Oh yeah. Right. The artillery shell hole. I think that was a big part of, I remember this vividly from reading and maybe it's again, it's been so long. Maybe it it just stuck out to me, but there are in with just within that scene, where he's in there with that other soldier and they're fighting for their lives. And then all of a sudden, you know, one wins, but doesn't win. Right. There's he's mortally wounded, still alive. Um, There there's their job was to kill each other. And as soon as that job was done, loss of humanity and, and loneliness and all of these things start to set in. It's almost like, he wishes he didn't kill him because they're stuck there. There's no life there anyways. He knows he's probably going to die, but he had to, he had to kill the other person. So like we see the progression of my job is to kill. We have to instinct to survive. We have to kill each other. And then all of a sudden loneliness, right? Almost you can see it in him. And the book does a description, I think, where he talks about how he wishes the other person was alive because he's just hmm. stuck there in that hole. Not right. He's basically yeah. dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really liked how, yeah, you have that fight and then he's stuck there. Uh, also, it's, you know, he gets his face covered in mud again. Uh, yep, just bloody mud. Shout yep. out to the uh, makeup and hairstyling department. Um, but yeah, like then when he's 
there the guy is still gurgling blood uh and so then he uh goes and tries to like help yeah um but then he still dies and then he finds the little booklet of uh the family, like, and, stuff. The family and all that yeah uh, that's probably where the the anti-war message is probably its strongest maybe is uh at least in terms of paul's recognition of it um well because he won that fight like he was the winner and yet this other person is dead doesn't feel anything whatever but he now has to like he is by himself he knows that this person just lost a father a a son a right i mean the the family they lost right he has to deal with that now he's in this trench this hole soaking wet bloodied wounded not wounded but like emotionally wounded not in any right right just he lost and yet he's still alive yeah so all the veterans coming back you imagine that that's kind of the you know once the patriotism and all that stuff's done that's kind of the wounded coming back even though they weren't physically wounded yeah i don't know crazy uh, I have a couple more uh, comments uh, regarding just specifically the plots of of the movie. Uh, first, uh, coming in from Nick, first time message. Uh, he asks, "Why would they risk going after the second goose?" That character decision seemed off to me. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, I, I was kind of curious about that too because I get the this is so this is after they hear that you know they signed and that there's going to be an armistice uh and so then paul and uh cat uh or whoever decide that they're going to go back to the the farmer where they stole the goose earlier uh and get another one uh to eat which leads to cat dying Mm -hmm. uh what did you guys think of that uh decision uh in terms of having the characters decide to risk that so I could be wrong about this. As far as I can tell, that's not in the book, or at the very least, that is not the cause of Kat's death in the book. Um, hmm. From what I have read, and Nate, you can fact check me on that. If I, I don't, years, I don't, I don't remember it. <laughs> but as far as I'm reading here on the same article from Collider, it seems like in the book, Cat uh, does die in similar fashion. He gets some shrapnel in his leg. Paul is trying to carry him to the medic, much like he was doing in the goose incident. Um, and then he gets another piece of shrapnel to his head. And he dies instantly in Paul's arms there. Oh, So it is kind of interesting to me why I would love to know why. I don't really have a good answer for that comments, why the director chose or why the, you know, the powers that be made the decision to put them back on that farm a second time what you know what the symbol yeah. is there some sort yeah. of symbolism there that i'm missing no i think it sets us up for the mindset of the they know that the war is going to end right this the soldiers know that there's going to be it's there's a time frame at which it ends. so there's sort of a sense of maybe immortality or a sense of giddiness almost that overcomes oh they had this great goose before but now the war is going to be done let's go get another one and I think that yeah. sets us up for the the end when we when there's actually still war happening and they have to go out and fight again. I think that that's that yeah. sets us up for that. And then we yeah. know that the soldiers know the war is going to end because they all know. 
I don't know. I think there's a set yeah. they've lived they've lived so long and they've seen so much that what can a farmer do? Right. And there was maybe I think a hint of nostalgia in there for them too, because the last time they got that goose and they got to share it with all of their friends, right? The rest of the yes. cast of this movie who aren't there anymore. Who are now no longer there. It's just Paul yep. and Cat now. So maybe there's yep. a hint of nostalgia there too, where they want to go, you know, score one more goose, uh, which obviously ends up turning into a pretty poor incident for Cat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't have too much of an issue with it because yeah, I think what you guys are saying that does make sense. The nostalgia and just getting this that uh, it's over. Uh, but I I, th- I think if that is different from the way that happens in the book, that is interesting because it almost to me seems like they use that moment in Cat's death to be like, ooh, he was so close to making it out. But then the yeah, whole sure. actual end of the movie is that that yeah he, they're still being sent off to fight for the last 15 minutes that they can and then paul dies and it's like ooh, so close so i wonder if there's a well and he a way also to fold those together a little bit more yeah well he also doesn't die uh a hero on the battlefield he dies stealing a sure. goose and that is yeah that's true right like that should be up there of how we're talking about this because they're there to be heroes yeah and he dies from a farmer who they just stole a goose from, or uh, like not the even farmer's, the farmer, like the farmer's kid. son, the, yeah. the yeah. son, right? So that that that's the biggest like punch, sucker punch to the viewer. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Um, and then uh, another uh, comment from Harry. Uh, he said, "I kept hoping someone would shoot the big guy who sent them to battle on the last day from the balcony." Everyone uh, thought that. Everyone yeah. wanted it. I, honestly, Dr. I was kind Eggman. of waiting for it. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Eggman, Jim Carrey. Um, uh, Isn't that crazy they got Jim Carrey for this movie, by the way? That's wild. <laughs> yeah, same stash and everything. Uh, yeah. The outfit uh, was I, really not period either, which is weird. Like the, yeah. like the red suit he was wearing. Yeah. Well, that's why, because that, that looks exactly like Jim Carrey's costume in Sonic. I haven't yeah. seen Sonic, but from the pictures, that's what that looks like um yeah honestly I, I was kind of waiting for that moment uh but i think once someone did speak out and then they got like the firing squad yep i was like yep. okay so we're not going there um as and i guess that makes sense because that's a better story than someone shooting uh dr eggman yeah uh nate you you mentioned earlier just as we're rounding out uh some of these uh topics in each piece of the the movie you mentioned that you prefer this cinematography to 1917 why is that i I think i i think it's just so different because when you 1917 is unique in what they try to do Uh, and i and in my style of what i like of how I edit and the way I things I I'm not the sort of the one shot thing, which is really interesting when we talk, when we were talking earlier about the, the next sort of sketch thing that we're thinking about. Oh yeah. But, but anyways, no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, <laughs> I just, I liked the way it was cut up at times. I, I was sort of lost when we jumped between places and I thought that that I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I think it's important yeah. that they had something like that in there. Cause like I was saying earlier, if you're just watching, cause that war was for the most part from what I've read is it, it was the same thing every day. It was either nothing was happening and we're bored out of our minds or we're running out of the trenches a hundred yards to die or take over that trench. And then we'll get overrun again. So you can only take so much of that as a viewer, right? Yeah. 
to, to the, the grays and the dreariness and the mud. Yeah. yeah. But so, so as far as like the cutting, I think, and you talked about it earlier. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was, it was well done. It kept, it kept us moving forward. Um, but I do have that drawback of sometimes it would cut to something like, in a completely different time or different space. And I was sort of lost. Um, yeah. But yeah. Sometimes I thought that was the the kind of stuff, the back with the higher ups or the powers that be. I thought that was some of that was kind of what they could trim down a little bit to, yeah. to save some runtime. Yeah. 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 Um, I agree with that. Uh, I liked all the Daniel Brühl stuff, who is the the guy with the mustache, who yep, was like yep. the one who negotiated or whatever with the French. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's some of that stuff that did seem a little long. What do you think, Stephen? In terms of runtime or in terms of cinematography? Either. Both. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. We were talking about the runtime earlier. And, you know, my first thought when it comes to, because, you know, two and two hours, 28 minutes is not an insignificant amount of time to sink into a movie. So you're thinking about, yeah. well, where could they cut some of that stuff? And the nature stuff is the first stuff you think about because it's like, okay, this is B-roll, right? <laughs> but I think I, we fleshed out pretty well earlier why that couldn't be the case mm -hmm. and the importance of having those scenes, as one of you said, buffers in between yeah. all the action and the gray and the dreary stuff. Um, Cinematography-wise, I... You know, it's hard for me to say because I I always struggle to understand exactly what cinematography is. Like, what is good <laughs> cinematography, sure. right? It's whatever um, you enjoy. Yeah, and for me, I nothing super stood out to me. I think where this movie really shines is what the cinematography is capturing. Mm -hmm. So the production design, I think, Jacob, you mentioned earlier, really is yeah. incredible. Um, and it does a great job of, even though it is pretty standard grays and dark tones and not a whole lot of color in there they still managed to make it you know very interesting to think about and look at um like i talked about the blood and just the way i mean you can feel what's the other movie jacob help me out timothy chalamet it was a netflix movie oh uh, he was the like king. the king i think it's just called yes. the king with robert the pattinson king. yeah i haven't seen and that. I, this movie made me think of that. This is going to relate, I promise. But in that movie, <laughs> um, there's this big fight between, I don't remember the specifics, but Tim Timothy Chalamet's army and Robert Pattinson's army. And the fight is so hard to watch. It makes me so tired watching them fight because they are just trudging in this heavy chainmail through the mud. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, and you know, you imagine medieval warfare as being this like sword fighting art, and it's not. It was just just the Battery. muddiest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt that watching this movie too. Yeah. Like just the way they were fighting, just like trudging through the mud and like tripping yeah. over things on the battlefield, and you know, having their progress stopped by you know shells exploding all over the place. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the cinematography does a great job of capturing. Um, just how outstanding of a job they did designing the production of this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I do think if, if this uh, takes home any awards at the Oscars, uh, I think international features a lock considering it was also nominated for best picture. It kind of yeah. feels like cheating. Uh, it would be interesting if like something else wins, but I feel like they kind of tip their hand there. Um I think uh, cinema or uh, production design and 
possible I, I don't know what the other nominees are uh for these i can't remember but makeup and hairstyling also uh just the i mean maybe it seems basic because he is just lathered in mud or ash through all the scenes but it still is really effective. how uncomfortable that made me looking at him i think deserves yeah. some credit it, yeah. because just, it made felt... you feel a way that should give yeah. you yeah. Credit. yeah 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 but yeah so, so i think definitely production design but I think it definitely does have a, a shot at makeup and possibly visual effects, honestly. So would this be the second? Uh, Parasite was the first, right, to ever win an international film to win Best Picture. Was that the I first? Th- I think so. I think that's true. So this true. could be the second, right? Would that be accurate? Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's going to uh, win Best Picture. You don't think so? No. Yeah. Uh, we Maybe we can do an Oscar bets episode, but... Uh, Sure. Uh, my guess is either Everything Everywhere or Banshees of Inisherin. Is my mm. is my guess uh, to win Best Picture. Uh, both great movies. Yeah, a couple other random thoughts. Uh, so Harry also sent in uh, just a few other uh, questions that didn't really fit into any other category. Uh, he said, "How do they get Andrew Garfield? Because we thought that his one friend." Uh, the Paul's one friend looked like Andrew Garfield. Oh my god, the guy who did. like runs and, and yeah. he's the one who gets uh, burned uh, yeah, by the flamethrowers. Yeah, I was like, he kind of looks like Andrew Garfield. He does. Uh, yeah. Harry also said there are some killer mustaches, which is there also sure true. Are. Yeah, there are. Uh, cat, I'm a huge fan of cat's mustache in particular, yeah. and sure. um, yeah, the negotiator, like you said. Yeah, Daniel. Brule, I forget is the actor's name. Who? Yeah, uh, great yeah, he. Uh, I know Daniel Brule because he was in. Uh, he plays Baron Zemo in Captain America: Civil War and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And he does a great job. Um, you just had to shoehorn it in there, didn't you? Yeah, just well, Marvel he's... all time, all the day. Oh just... my gosh! Do you see what uh, I have to live with? I mean, it's just unbelievable. With well, he's kid. also he he's also in shut that, up about it. that Netflix Cloverfield movie, but I never saw that because I heard it wasn't great. Um, Were any of them great? Uh, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane is. Um, That's too scary for me. I think. 10 Cloverfield Lane is the one with uh, John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, There's like a like, slight pause in the audio before you said Goodman. I thought you were going to say John Mulaney, you know. John, John uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane is actually a really good movie. And it it's you don't need to like watch any of the other ones. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Harry also said for his last question, can we do something more fun next time? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it based on what you said at the beginning of the episode. It yeah, sounds like we'll the answer see. is a resounding no. We'll see. Uh, How about some volcanoes and some guys who died because of them? Yeah. Is that uh, good enough for you? But uh, we yeah. should do cocaine bear. <laughs> oh, I would love that if you did cocaine bear. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Uh, but uh, yeah, any other thoughts that you just want to get out about All Quiet on the Western Front? I, it makes me feel stupid for saying this out loud, but because all movies have tropes and stereotypes, right? Yeah. yeah. Superhero movies have them. War movies have them. Um, so it doesn't necessarily make a movie bad that it falls into a lot of those same tropes and stereotypes. I just feel like there has to be more to the movie that elevates it. And I think All Quiet gets there, but not as convincingly as I would like to for a Best Picture nominee, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So that's my main thought. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. Um, but I don't necessarily see best picture for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely not the one that I would cut 
from because I, I think After Sun should be a movie that's on the best picture list. Uh, but it's uh, I, I don't think this movie is the first one I would replace it with. I think Elvis is the first movie I would replace it with, uh, yeah. having not seen Avatar. Um, but uh, yeah, what about you, Nate? Just random thoughts. Um, yeah, random thought is do they do you think this is the last time they make it or not? And that's how I end up judging <laughs> the question, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, who knows? I think I personally think that this is the last time they make it. Um, I yeah, mean, what knows? other stories are there to tell with it, right? Right. I mean, the big draw to this one feels like the German perspective and maybe yeah. some updated production design and yep. cinematography stuff with all the new technology. I just feel like there's not really another angle. Yeah. Right, here. exactly. And it, it's and it's not like a, a big budget action thing that's right. like, oh, we need to remake this with Chris Pine or something. It, right. Because that's not just, the goal of the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of the last although Chris Pine makes thing. everything better. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. So that's my my question. And if in 30 years they decide to make it again and I'll be <laughs> curious to see why why and you know the differences yeah. but no it's i agree. always the western front why not the eastern front no one's talked we... about the eastern front i'm telling you yeah <laughs> slept on slept on the front <laughs> something going on there yeah. um we'll break it we'll crack it cool awesome well uh thanks so much for joining us for this discussion steven uh yeah Thanks Obviously, as an avid listener of the podcast, you know that we have one more yeah. segment to get to. Uh, of course, definitely not procrastinating. Uh, Nate, how about you? Do you have anything to kick us off? Yeah. Ready, Jacob? Always. So uh, this morning, I went out for the first time uh, this year fly fishing. Oh, okay. Okay. You were like, I went outside. I stepped outside for the first time all year. <laughs> I got skunked. So if you know what that means, it means you haven't caught anything. But my friend who I went out with did catch a couple of nice uh, trout. And uh, it was a good time. Beautiful weather. It's good to get outside. I was planning on making sure I was in a good mind headspace for this conversation. Uh, and so, hmm. you know, Central PA has its has its beauties. So that's what I did today. And no, no Marvel, no other oh crappy stuff. But it is, I uh, uh, see, you always say that I bring Marvel. Harry and I were joking that you always bring something about hunting. Yeah, because <laughs> as you know, once you get into something, you can't stop talking about it. Yeah, well, because now it's just part of our character and we have to play into it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this this whole show is scripted yeah. and we have to, <laughs> just like the NFL. So, yeah, I was going to say play, like the NFL thing. Yeah. <laughs> you have to play to to what the folks want. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so how's that? Also, uh, just shout out to you. Congratulations on uh, getting your drone license. Thank you. Yeah. It was a long, long time studying and got through with it. Yeah. Yep. And and now you never have to fly a drone ever again. It's all for show. It's all for show. Uh, Stephen, how about you? Do you have anything? Uh, I do have something. I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld recently. Okay. Oh, good for um, you. Jacob and Andrew and I kind of were raised on Seinfeld. Our parents love the show. We have all the box sets at home. Yeah. Uh, so I love the show. And I just finished it a couple of days ago. And so I've kind of gone straight into another show that I have seen before, um, but not all the way through. And that's Curb Your Enthusiasm, oh. which is by Larry David, who was the co-creator of Seinfeld. Um, so I'm just kind of in the Seinfeld verse right now. And I guess my 
definitely not procrastinating as nostalgia. <laughs> so if you have something you want to watch that you haven't watched in a while, I will say I just learned today, just kind of reading through the Wikipedia on Curb a little bit, that apparently the show Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is on HBO, um, exonerated a guy from murder. Whoa! So there was like this guy that was arrested and was charged for murder. He was facing the death penalty. And some B-roll that curb had at a dodgers game for filming i think season four so this would have been like mid to late 2000s i think had the guy in the video and it played oh. still they gave him an alibi i think i oh, saw something Larry about David that on twitter i wasn't sure what they're possible and i haven't watched it yet but there's a documentary about this a short documentary on netflix called the long shot so if you want to check that out i have not watched it. maybe it's awful but <laughs> uh yeah seinfeld curb your enthusiasm i'm in the seinfeld cinematic universe right now nice uh, I also may, I mean, this will maybe be something later on, but similar to that, I've been rewatching Parks and Rec, uh, which uh, is a much newer show than Seinfeld, but I've been having a great time going through that. Uh, my actual definitely not procrastinating uh, is something that I meant to talk about last week on the definitely not procrastinating episode, but forgot uh, to add it to the list. Uh, so I actually don't know. I'm positive that Nate hasn't seen this. I don't know if you ever watched this, Stephen, but Andor on Disney Plus. Yeah, no, nope. um, did not get around to it now. So Andor is a Star Wars show, uh, starring Diego Luna, who was in the Star Wars movie Rogue One. Um, but uh, Andor came out last, like it started in September, I think, and ran through November. It's a 12-episode first season, and they're doing one more season of 12 episodes, and I believe that's it. Um, so it's a kind of limited series. Uh, but Andor Season 1 is probably one of the best Star Wars things to exist. Uh, and I don't think you need to be a Star Wars person to watch it. I think it stands pretty well on its own. Uh, and it has one of my favorite episodes of TV ever now. Um up there with uh i think it's season one episode seven of barry uh, i always cite as one of my first favorite episodes ever uh one of uh the last of us uh recent episodes episode three i think is one of the best episodes of tv ever uh and uh this and or has uh another one of those great episodes so i think it's definitely worth checking out whether you're into star wars or not okay. uh it's just a cool sci-fi show about a rebellion basically so yeah, wow. it's on Disney Plus. Definitely recommend it. Uh, just one last uh, reminder that next time we are going to be watching and talking about Fire of Love, a documentary on Disney Plus and Hulu. So be sure to watch that and send in your thoughts, comments, questions to askwtd at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll have another guest on to help us uh, talk about that uh, in two weeks time. But uh, yeah, thanks so much, Stephen, for joining us. I hope this was fun for you. Yeah, of course. Um, Checks in the mail, right? Checks in the mail. (laughs) You're paying us, though, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Patreon. 200 each. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cool. Well, uh, I guess we will see you in a little bit. Bye.